Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 3 and verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians 1. It says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you now. We thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. We thank you, God, that we can come as brothers and sisters and hear your word preached to us. So let us receive it, God, in its fullness and its entirety, God. Let it do its work in our heart. Lord, we do pray for Ashton Childress and, and pray that he would be okay and um, they would get some answers regarding his health condition. I do pray, God, that you would heal him uh, fully and completely. Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to um, be ministers. Um, let us be ministers of truth uh, to our other brothers and sisters in need. We lift up the Cook family who are also um, dealing with some health issues, God, that you'd heal them up as well. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you at any time, at any place, come with confidence before your throne and seek an audience with you and lift up our prayer requests. And that's what we're doing, Father. Spirit, we ask you to continue to be here with us. Thank you for the worship this morning. Uh, I pray that you'd fill each one of us. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for uh, the people in the sound booth their ministry to us, God, that we can come before you and lift up our voices in praise to you, the high and righteous King. We love you. We ask for your blessing upon us now. Amen. We're going to be talking about growing in faith today. And I want to ask you um, a couple questions as we look at this topic of growing in faith. One, um, can you read books about the Bible and not grow? In your faith? Yes, okay, it's not a trick question. Can you read the Bible and not grow in your faith? Okay. Can you get a degree in the Bible and not grow in your faith? Okay. You guys got A pluses. <laughs> All those things help you gain knowledge, right? I mean, they help you gain knowledge. Now, knowledge is a part of faith, true? But growing in faith is more than growing in knowledge. It's a part of it, but it is not all of it. Because something is missing. Knowledge alone is not enough. You have to have the heart included. You have to have the heart included. Hold your place in 2 Thessalonians because we're going to be coming back. But I want you to see this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And this is what he says at the very beginning in verse 5 of 1 Timothy. He says, the aim of our charge is love. Okay, so he's giving them a charge. He's kind of laying out, hey, here's what my letter's going to be about. My aim, my goal is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So here we have love and faith, which is what Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians. But you have to have the idea and the concept, and at the foundation when we talk about growing in faith, you have to have the heart involved. So you have to have the intellect, 
but you have to have the heart. What does Psalm 51 say? Create in me, what? A clean heart. Okay? Create in me a clean heart, O God. So there's kind of different aspects. When you talk about different aspects of faith, um, you talk about, you can talk about the mind, you can talk about the heart. There are people that study these things that have degrees more advanced than, than any of us, yet they're not saved. So you can have knowledge without faith. Now, knowledge is a part of faith, but you can have the, the knowledge. So we have to come with a right motive and a right heart any time we approach God, any time we approach his word. Otherwise, it's just all we're doing is, is gaining lots of knowledge. And sometimes what happens is people, um, people think that the knowledge they're gaining is a sign of their growth in faith. That's not always the case. You can go to Bible studies and Bible studies and Bible studies, which you should, and life groups and life groups and life groups, which you should, and gain all sorts of knowledge. But that doesn't mean you're growing. It might mean you're growing in in knowledge, but it doesn't mean you're growing in faith. So you have to have the heart involved. You also, if you want to talk about growing, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but there's another part you need. And that's obedience. If you say you're growing, but you don't have obedience, that's not growth. Because our call ultimately is to grow and pursue righteousness, to be molded and shaped into the form of Jesus Christ himself. How can we say that's happening if we're not walking in obedience? Think about it for a minute. If I you know, go to Lowe's and I, and I buy an apple tree and I plant that apple tree in my backyard, you know, as it grows, I mean, what am I going to be looking at you know, year after year? What am I looking at for that tree? What am I going to be looking at for that tree to produce? Apples, right? Apple trees produce apples. If it, if it didn't produce any fruit, what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it back to Lowe's and ask for a refund. <laughs> I'm going to be like, this ain't an apple tree, right? It's not an apple tree. Now, what if, what if it started producing pears? What do you think I would do? If I liked pears, I'd probably eat them. But I'd probably easily come to the conclusion... That somehow Lowe's got the, the tags mixed up, right? And they really sold me a pear tree, not an apple tree. Okay, so now I got a pear tree. That's not, is a pear tree an apple tree? No, they both bear fruit, right? But different types of fruit. So if you have someone, you know, who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God, what kind of fruit are we going to expect from someone like that? We're going to expect some type of fruit. Okay? If there has been a, something that has been born again, if there is life, we expect some type of fruit. And from a born-again believer, someone who has trusted in Christ, who is truly seeking after him, who has been washed in the blood of Jesus, we are going to look for fruit. What kind of fruit is that going to be? It's going to be a fruit of obedience, really. And part of that is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those, and some of those are elements of the heart, but whatever is in the heart, Jesus says what? It's going to flow out, both in our words and in our actions. So we have to have obedience as well. Look back at 2 Thessalonians. We're just going to skip a few verses ahead because I want you to see this. 
in verses 5 through 8, Paul's talking about what's going to happen to those who don't know Christ. It says, this is evidence, verse 5, of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And then look at this, inflicting vengeance. Who's he going to inflict vengeance on? That's wrath. Who's going to do that to? Those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Now, I don't think those are two different categories of people. I think he's saying, if you don't know God, guess what? You're not going to obey the gospel. If you do know God, guess what? You're going to obey the gospel. And I remember reading this as a very young believer being like, holy cow, he just was like, if you don't obey the gospel of Jesus, you're going to have wrath inflicted upon you. Why? Because a believer will exhibit the fruit of the gospel which in just one word is obedience. Obedience to the commands of Christ. Obedience to the scriptures. So when Paul speaks of growing in faith, I mean, yeah, he certainly means growth in the knowledge of God. Absolutely. That's part of it. In fact, here's what it says in John 17. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we don't want to quickly dismiss the fact that eternal life is knowledge of the one true God. Yes, this type of knowledge has a depth to it that does not just involve cognitive content in our head. It doesn't just involve knowledge here. It involves knowledge here. There has to be a change. Okay? If we just needed people to know information to save them, then we would, we would just go about trying to instruct people in various things. No, when you read Matthew 28, and he, Jesus has given us the Great Commission... What is he commanding us to do? He, he says to go and teach them to obey. A lot of people miss that part. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Not just teach them what I have commanded you. I mean, we can give people information on, on all the religions, Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, and, and give them the facts. Teach them what I have commanded you. We can teach people what Jesus has commanded. No, he says teach them, people miss these two words, to obey what I've commanded you. That's part of making disciples. It's not just giving knowledge. It's showing them how to walk after the manner of Christ. That is discipleship. So we want to talk about growing in faith, but I want you to notice something back here in 2 Thessalonians 3. Look what he says. He says, your faith is growing abundantly. Your faith is growing abundantly. Now this word... Uh, one theologian, Bishop Lightfoot, says it was carefully chosen because this word implies an internal, organic growth as of a tree. And further, this, the way this verb is presented in the original language, it points to the unusual, even unexpected progress of the person's faith. Okay? In other words, this idea of abundantly growing it's like a hyper-growing. In fact, that, that word, that, that prefix that is there in the Greek is huper. That's where we get the word hyper. Okay. So that's one thing. 
it's the idea of this internal organic growth, like a tree which spreads out. It's going down deep, but it's also spreading out. But also, it's in the present tense. So it highlights the ongoing, continuous nature of the growing faith. Now, when you get saved, guess what? Boom, you got faith, right? You have a saving faith. But what do you do with that faith? Right? God wants us to grow in our faith. So we have, a, we have a faith that saves us, and then God wants us to have that faith and continue to grow in that faith. So here's the thing. We don't have a stagnant faith. Or, or let me say, we shouldn't have a stagnant faith. Okay, if we're a believer, we are going to have a, a faith that's growing. With new life comes growth. Okay, so do you want to grow? Well, then you've you got to position yourself for growth. Like, position yourself for growth. Think of um, basketball. Think of a basketball player. He wants to position himself to score on the basketball court, right? you got two ends of the basketball court. And there's defense and there's offense. But when they're on offense, where is he going to position himself to score? Well, depending on what plays they're running and how the coaches set up the offense, there's going to be different positions. But if he's being double covered, that means if two people on defense are covering him, has he positioned himself to grow? Not very well. Has he positioned himself to score? Not very well. So what is he going to do? He's going to put himself in a position to try to score. Now, if you're at the half court, you know, you ever gone to those games, like the college basketball games or maybe the NBA, where it's like, if you can make this half court shot, we'll give you like $25,000, right? And it's like, you know, it rarely happens. Occasionally it does, but it rarely happens, right? So, I mean, if you're that basketball player, you're not going to, I mean, you can stand at half court and, and no one's going to really guard you there. But are you, gonna, are you in a position to score? No. Okay. So <clears throat> the basketball player is going to do what he needs to do. He's going to position himself to be in a position to score. Guess what? We as believers have to do the same thing with our faith. We have to put ourselves in a position to grow. This includes time-wise. Okay? You have to sacrifice time if you want to grow in your faith. You're going to have to have, carve out sections of time to get into the Word. Carve out sections of time if you're going to attend the Bible study. Carve out sections of time if you're going to be part of a life group. Carve out sections of time if you're going to come to our prayer meeting. I mean, but you have to position yourself to grow. Same with different activities. So activity-wise, you have to position yourself to grow. You know, I'm not like the biggest um, conference person. I'm, I'm just not. But guess what? Those conferences, when I go to them, like I grow. I grow. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to this particular conference. Or that. I'm not talking about our Foundations Conference, by the way, because I love that, okay? <laughs> I'm serious. <clears throat> but I, what I'm talking about different conferences. You know, they have pastor's conference, you know, different things like that. I'm like, uh. But... I know if I go to those things, I, I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn things, head and heart. So I'm going to grow. So activity-wise, we have to position ourselves for growth. I'd say friend-wise. Like, what, what do the Proverbs talk about? I mean, they just talk about, like, people, you know, there's the fool and there's the wise person. I mean, and the contrast is always going on in Proverbs. And the wise, who do they walk with? The wise. The wise walk with the wise. So even friend-wise, 
these things, time, activity, friends, these things affect our growth. So let's put ourselves in the best position to grow. Okay, I want to grow, you might say. Okay, then what steps are you taking? What steps are you taking? Arrange things in your life accordingly. Listen, growth doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by intentionality. Okay, now this, once September hits, there's different things on my mind. Basketball's starting up. Our family does basketball, but something else is on my mind. You want to know what else is on my mind? It's the perfect time for me to plant my grass seed. All right? Y'all know how I like my lawn. <clears throat> but there has to be, you know, if I want my lawn, you know, because I, I appreciate it when y'all come to my house and you're like, man, your lawn looks awesome. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but if I want my lawn to look good, like, what do I have to do? To, my, my lawn doesn't just look good just because it looks good, okay? You, I got pictures of when we first bought the house seven years ago, okay? And I was like, man, this is going to be like a two- or three-year reclamation project on my lawn, okay? One day, the mailman stopped me and waved me down, and he brought me over, and he's like, I, I, I don't know what you've been doing to the house, man, but it looks like completely different. That's just on the outside. He's never been in the inside of my house because, was, I mean, there's just bushes overgrown and dead trees and everything. But planting grass, okay? So I was like, man, this is a two- or three-year project. But when you talk about even something as simple as planting grass seed, like, what do you got to do to plant grass seed? And most of y'all just, like, put out the grass seed, okay? Guess what? I tried that theory for about 25 years. I'm not even kidding. You can't just put out the grass seed. You might get a couple sprouting up. doesn't really work. One, the key thing is, well, actually, they're all key, but you got to aerate, okay? You can either rent one of the machines that, like, pulls them, plugs out. They look like little dog poops, okay? I'm just, you know, if you've done it before, you know what I'm talking about. But you got to aerate your yard. you got to unpack the soil. you got to create holes for the seeds to fall into. Second, duh, you got to plant the seed. I get that part. So do you. But third, you actually need the right soil. You can have it. It can be basically too rich. It can be not rich enough. Then you got to water it. But here's the thing with watering you can water it too much, right? You can overwater those new grass seeds. You can drown them. So you got to know how much to water. And then fifth, you need the right temperatures. That's why September hits. I'm like, it's the perfect temperature. Okay, whenever, you know, you see these construction projects going on and they're like, afterwards they like throw down straw and then they put grass and it's like the middle of July, 100 degrees. I'm like, that, that, they're just wasting money. That grass will grow for like two weeks and then it's going to be dead. So you need the right temperatures. There's many different things you need, the right conditions to have growth occur. Guess what? If you want to grow as a believer, you have, the right, have to have the right conditions. That's back to the time and the activity and the friends. But you have to be intentional in seeking the growth. Okay? Most of y'all aren't going to plant grass seed this year. That's fine. Okay? I notice when I come to your house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> But you have to be intentional if you want to grow. I want, I want grass seed to grow. I've got to be intentional. This week I was out there taking care of all those different things. You've got to be intentional. But if we want to grow, we have to be intentional in seeking to grow in our faith. That means, that means head knowledge, yes. But it means a heart change, which leads us to obedience. And the growing here, what's impressive to me about uh, what Paul's saying here is that they're not just growing in their faith, they're, they're growing abundantly. It's a super growth. You know, they're like on some fertilizer steroids or something. Like they're growing and they're growing and they're growing a whole lot. It's very, very, very fruitful. Very fruitful. 
So they're not just growing, but they're super growing. You know, and, and, and what is an encouragement to me, and, and Justice mentioned someone the other day, he's like, man, I don't know if you've noticed this person, but like, man, God's been doing an, an amazing work in their life the last few months. And, and they've just, you know, are, have really started to grow a lot. Not that they weren't growing before, but it's like they've, they've just shot up, right? I mean, that's the super growth. And we want to keep growing. We, don't, we want to grow in our faith, but the second thing that we see here is we want to grow in our love. He says, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So they're growing abundantly in their faith, and then they're not just loving one another, they're increasing in their love. So this second verb, the, this increase in love, uh, Bishop Lightfoot says the same thing. It's carefully chosen. It has the idea of a diffusive or expansive character, kind of like a flood irrigating the land. Like it's just, it's like spreading out and it's going everywhere. So as faith grows, our love grows. Why is that? Because think about it. As your faith in God grows, your love towards others will grow. In fact, I'd say it's even kind of like a barometer. Like, how am I doing with loving others? How am I doing with that? Because if we think we're growing in our faith, but no one else is, is exhibiting it or feeling it or experiencing it from us, then, I mean, are we really growing? Like, they go hand in hand, friends. As you grow in faith, you will grow in love. This is what happened to the Thessalonians. They're growing in faith. They're growing in love. Look at 1 John. I want to look at a couple verses there to see, to see this point illustrated well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Think about that. The only reason we can even have a love, a biblical love, an agape love, is because God first loved us. He loved us, he saved us, he redeemed us, he regenerated us, right? And then what happens? Like, we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. We've been born again. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. And we have an internal change that happens that is seen externally. So he loved, we love because he first loved us. Faith gives us a foundation from which to truly love others. God loves us. He saves us. He redeems us. And guess what? Now we can love others. Now we can be Christ to others. You want to talk about the evidences of faith in a person's life, it's going to be the love for the brothers. Look back one chapter earlier, verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I mean, think about that. That's one of the marks. You've passed out of death into life because you love the brothers. Now, because you love the brothers, that's not the saving thing, but it's, 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 it's the fruit that you've been saved. We know that we have passed. So, like, oh, man, how am I doing? Man, I, I hate people. I don't love people. I'm, I'm not good with people. Guess what? That's not a good sign. And the takeaway here for you would be, I need to be a little bit concerned about my salvation. Because one of the marks is a love for the brothers. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Look what it goes on to say in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life 
abiding in him. So a mark of our faith is, is our love for one another. And look what he says back in chapter 4, in verse 8. Now let's start in verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, you might say, well, maybe he's talking about the love for God here. That's, that's part of it. But he's not saying does not love God. He's just saying does not love. I mean, he's talking about others. How do we love others? I mean, you, you read 1 John 3 and 4. You, I mean, you can't walk away but being like, dude, if I don't love people, like, my soul's not in a good spot. Because look what he says in verse 20 of chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God... And hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is why Paul can say that you can have a great faith. You can have a great faith, but if you don't love, you're nothing. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. See it in his own words. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? I am nothing. Friends, love is the harmony to our melody of faith. All right? Love is the harmony our melody of faith. And I want you to notice back in 2 Thessalonians because what I don't want us to do is to walk out of here thinking, okay, I mean, this is on me. I need, what do I need to do to love people better? And I need, to, I need to strive more. I mean, there's some truth in that. But it's also God working in you and through you. It's also letting God grab a hold of you. It's also realizing, wow, I really do stink at loving people. And I need to get before the Lord and repent of that and ask him to change my heart. You need a heart change. But notice back in 2 Thessalonians, when he's talking about increasing their love, now this would be easy to miss if you weren't careful, but it's the same, this word here is what Paul has prayed in 1 Thessalonians for them. So look at 1 Thessalonians 3. In verse 12, notice what his prayer is. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. That was his prayer back in 1 Thessalonians for them. He's praying that for them. That's his prayer. Then look what he does in chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 9, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you're doing. So, hey, hey, you're loving one another. I'm praying you love people more, but you are loving one another. But then what does he say? All the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So he prays it, and then he commands it. He prays it, and now he's commanding it. And then what do we see in 2 Thessalonians? His prayer is answered. 
right? We ought always to give thanks to God for you. So Paul's saying, hey, we're thanking God for you. What are we thanking God for you about? Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Answered prayer. He prays for their love to increase. God answers it. You want to grow in your faith? You want to grow in love towards others? Start by praying. Pray for yourself to grow in faith. Pray for yourself to love others. So he sees his prayers answered. Listen, friends, when we're talking about love, people don't know you love them unless they see it. Yeah, I mean, you can have uh, the greatest love, the greatest agape love for someone, but if they don't see that, or if they don't hear that, they don't know that. They need to see it, and they need to hear it. Now, why is there an emphasis even in 1 John, but here in 2 Thessalonians, why is there an emphasis on loving believers as opposed to unbelievers? I mean, because we're even supposed to love our enemies, right? We're supposed to love all. Love your neighbor. But why is there this emphasis? Because notice what he says, the love of every one of you for one another. Okay, the context is the Thessalonian church. Their love is increasing for themselves. The love they have for the brothers and sisters at the church why the emphasis there? Because when you talk about this agape love and loving others, when you're doing life with people, it's going to be really challenging. When you're doing life with people, it's going to put you to the test. And you're going to be around the believers, your brothers and sisters at your church. You're going to be around them on a regular basis, or you should be. You're doing life with them. You're doing life together. And because of that, there's going to be challenges. Every family has its arguments, disagreements, and fights. And every church has its arguments, disagreements, and fights. You don't just walk away when there's a problem. If you don't do that in family life, you don't do that in church life. Because guess what? Church life is family life. So don't get swept away or thrown off course. Okay? Doing life together is challenging. It's hard. Why? Because you're involved. <laughs> okay? I'm involved. That means there's going to be sin. All right, anyone make it through this, this past week without sinning? Probably didn't make it through yesterday. You probably didn't make it through today. So there's going to be sin. There's going to be hurt. That's why we walk in the spirit of forgiveness. The love of Christ can overcome those things. God is looking for something from us, friends, and it is possible through the spirit of Christ. You want to know what he's looking for? He's looking for a harvest. He's looking for a harvest. Look at what James talks about. James chapter 3. Starting in verse 13, James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, God wants that harvest of righteousness from us. He wants to be able to see it. Why? When there's a growth, right? Back to the apple tree. What do you do when you go out and pick those apples? You're harvesting, right? Well, God wants to see us growing so much that there's a harvest to be gleaned from us ourselves. God wants a harvest of righteousness. Look at these Thessalonians. Like, they're a great example of an abundant, lasting harvest. What did Jesus talk about the harvest? You know, you plant one seed and you get 100 or 60 or 30 times as much. Right? That little apple tree is a great example. One little seed can produce hundreds of apples, which then can be planted and produce, those seeds can be planted and produce hundreds of more apples, right? But God's wanting a harvest from us. He wants to see that growth. He wants to see that and then harvest it for righteousness. Think about this for a second. In Thessalonica, no one is merely a taker. All are givers. They're all giving. They're giving. They're walking in righteousness. There's a harvest of righteousness. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, lived around 350 A.D. Here's what he said about this verse. For what advantage is it that you love such and such a person very much? That is a love that is holy within the human faculty. Friends, what we're trying to do is not possible simply by mere human accomplishment. We want a divine love, and only that can come from God, and he has to give it to us. That's why we can love, because he first loved us. He gives us the divine love. We can turn around and express that to others. So he says, what advantage is it it that you love such and such a person very much? That is a love that is wholly within the human faculty. But if it is not a merely human love, and you love for God's sake, then love all people. For so God has commanded to love even our enemies. And if he has commanded to love our enemies, how much more must we love other Christians who have never caused us any grief? But, you say, I do love, but just not in that way. The truth is, then you don't really love at all. You don't really love at all. We need God's love so we can express that love to others. He has to start it. He has to be the initiator, so to speak. He shows us the example, but he actually gives us the love himself. Then we can express that to others. Friends, you know, when we talk about love and we talk about following Christ, you know, following Christ is inconvenient. And it's supposed to be. If every experience you have of following Christ is convenient, you're not following Christ. And guess what? Loving others is inconvenient. It's very inconvenient. But if every experience of loving others that you have is convenient, guess what? You're not loving others. Okay, loving others is inconvenient. Church is inconvenient. If you're going to do church right, it's going to be inconvenient. It's more than just Sunday mornings. It's doing life together. It's praying for your brother and sister. It's ministering to them. It's helping them out with their needs. That's inconvenient. But guess what? 
Christ was inconvenienced for us much more than we'll ever be inconvenienced by anyone. He was inconvenienced to the point of death. And he considered it a joy. Here's the thing. God wants us to be building his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And what happens? All these things will be added. How come Jake the last few weeks is, is answering all these questions without anyone else? Come on, y'all. <clears throat> God wants us to build his kingdom. Friends, I'm not trying to build an empire. I'm trying to build the kingdom. All right? And I'm not the king, and you're not the king. You, know you want to know what we are? We're bricklayers. We're building the kingdom. We are the bricklayers. So let's lay those bricks well. Let's lay them well, right? And some people are putting the bricks on, and some people are putting the mortar on, and we got different jobs, and some people are, can carry the bricks up to the, to the top of the building because they're strong, and, and other people are mixing the mortar like we all have roles to play in building the kingdom, right? But let's build the kingdom. And to do that, we have to be grounded in faith. And to do that, we have to be walking in love, manifesting each of these in our lives. So we're talking about, we want to build the kingdom. We want to see his word go forth. We want to see lives change. We want to see people get saved. Like we play a role in that. And we will be most effective when our hearts are set first and foremost on the king himself. We want to be effective in ministry. We got a limited time here. The clock is ticking for each one of us. It can expire at any second. We have a ticking clock that will go off at some point. So let's take the time that we have and be the most effective for the kingdom. That happens because God is working in us and through us to willing to work according to his ways. Amen? So we're wanting to grow in the faith, not really for our benefit. I mean, we benefit from it, but because we want to be fruitful for the king. We're serving in his vineyard, right? And we're plucking grapes. Well, I want to pluck as many grapes as I can, right? Because he's making a sweet wine out of all that. It's a glorious taste. So let, let's be in that vineyard working. Yeah, do we get benefits from being in that vineyard? Yeah, we get all sorts of benefits, all right? All sorts of benefits. But the benefit ultimately is for the king. He's the one. That's who we're working for. He's the master. He's the Lord. That's the one we're serving. Our growth is to benefit and glorify him. Our growth in faith, our growth in love. To, to benefit and glorify him. That's our heart, is to glorify him. So let's make sure, friends, like all of us, every single one of us, needs to continue to grow in our faith. And, and if these Thessalonians can be a super abundant growth, guess what? God can do that for us. And if they can super abound and increase in love, these baby Christians then there's no excuse for the mature Christians for us to superabound and increase in love. And we can all superabound and increase in love through Christ who loves us, through God who demonstrates his love for us in this, that he sent his own son to die for us. So let's keep seeking the kingdom first. Let's keep seeking to grow in faith and love for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be a people that are in your vineyard.
and harvesting righteousness and being used by you to further your kingdom, to be the bricklayers building your kingdom. And we acknowledge we can't do that apart from you. We can't do that without you. At times we've tried to do it and it's been a fail big time. Help us, Father. Strengthen us to be a people that have our heart set on your kingdom and on you. Let us be about our Father's business. Let us be about the business of you, our great God and King. Father, we ask for you to work in us. I do pray, just like the Apostle Paul prayed, that our faith would grow and increase. I pray, God, that our love would superabound and increase amazingly for one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let it be true of us, Father. Let it be true of us.